0: One of the all-time favourite shows. Because
1: you were home. Hello, and you are listening to a, would we say bonus?
0: Yeah, like special.
1: Is it kind of a bonus? It's kind of a repeat episode? If back turn back then, if I can't make <laughs> um, myself and Emer are now just going to sing share to you for 36 hours um, but you were listening to because you were home and myself and Emer have decided um, in our wee break that we would recap on two of our favorite episodes so this is my pick which was episode 28 it is mod to god come in god, god this yeah. is where Emer and I spoke about horror films that were directed by women uh, Emery discusses Mod um, Saint Mod, yeah <laughs> Saint Mod, and I look at one of my favorite movies of all time, Jennifer's Body. I love what's behind this movie. I love what this movie represents. I you can think- really
0: get that out in your in your sides. Like how much you love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got I got quite passionate with this one.
0: Fairly, yeah. So should.
1: Yeah. I, um. Yeah, and I just think it's actually a really good movie even if you're not into the the meaning behind it and the women who made it and um if you're not give it give a wee look at the interview that Diablo Cody and um Megan Fox did together it was really interesting and uh, really nice to see that and to listen to kind of their thoughts on the movie um it's yeah one of my favorite movies one of my favorite episodes so enjoy
0: yes but we're catching off the popular time of February of women in horror um, so we decided to represent and instead of going down maybe the tried and tested way of looking at uh, female actresses uh, we decided to look into female directors of horror mm-hmm. movies so it's, it's kind of it's, you might think like oh there might be one or two where you think, oh, there's not a lot, but if you think about it, Pet Cemetery was directed by a woman, mm-hmm. Babadook directed by another woman. Um, yes, Mary Lambert is the director of Pet Cemetery because she actually did all the sequels to it. Um, I'm actually, yeah, I'll go into it in a little bit more detail, but I have to say there's at least 650 female directors in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what got me onto looking into the vast amount of female directors was in 2018 at the premiere to Halloween, Jason Blum, stirred up a bit of controversy when he claimed that his studio had not produced a theatrical release by a woman because there was, quote, not a lot of female directors, period, and even less who were inclined to do horror. So as you might imagine, that caused a bit of controversy and Twitter exploded. As Twitter does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like rightfully so. He pissed off a lot of people. And um, so it was, Twitter was absolutely flooded with people criticizing the statement, stating that he must not have done his homework, as all it would take is like a quick goog just to discover the plethora of female hard drivers. Yeah. Now, Blum did later apologize at the premiere. Um, of Halloween and he stated that today was a great day for me because I learned a lot and because there are a lot of women out there I'm going to meet as a result of today so I'm grateful for it. claims said his production house are constantly searching for female directors and even said that they tried to get Jennifer Kent who directed The Babadook but she turned him down and as I said to you earlier on yo know, mm, I mean like I wonder why she maybe turned him down. I know. that was back in 2018 so mm-hmm. I don't know if it, it truly maybe it is just harder to find, but um, I also came across in this whole Twitter explosion, Ashlyn Clark. We mentioned her before. She's an Irish female director. Yeah. And she is famous. She's also a writer as well. And she directed The Door, Childer and Short, Sharp Shocks. And she tweeted, "Um, to be fair, there are fewer female horror directors. At Jason Blum didn't say they don't exist, but we could do with being trusted, invested in and supported more. That will help inspire and grow a new generation of female horror filmmakers. It's a gap that can be bridged. And she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Like." I also it's one of the things we come back to time and time again that in the horror movie kind of universe and um, it's people take chances they take risks with theme with ideas of what they're going to portray and also like a lot of actors and actresses get their start in yeah. horror so it's again a lot of female directors get their chance and um, just to be able to start out on some films like Catherine Bigelow, uh, who famously directed the Oscar winning film Hurt Locker. She directed the critically acclaimed Western style vampire flick near dark. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, Mary Lambert uh, Lambert, sorry, who directed the first Pet Cemetery, also directed its sequels, which I didn't realize that the sequel had Edward Furlong in it. Oh. Um, yes. So I'm not quite sure how they were. I looked them up on IMDb and they're not kind. <laughs> to the rest of the films uh scores wise um but like there are and I, like I said I, I looked into it there were some really interesting ones and there's a lot of like from across the world there are female directors in horror um, so Blum had late, also later tweeted that he spoke out too quickly about an issue which he is passionate about over 50% of our audience is female over 50% of Blumhouse execs are women some of our most successful franchise are anchored by women including the opening of Tomorrow Today led by the biggest female legend in the genre here he was again promoting Halloween and he was speaking of of course. of course. Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, So female horror directors have spent decades defining their space in the male-dominated horror genre. Indeed, as our episode will prove, women filmmakers have created some of the boldest and most terrifying movies around, from groundbreaking noir nightmares to modern day meditations on body horror. Alas, many of these films are critically underseen. Thankfully, the horror genre is evolving. And so kinda, I'm just gonna finish this little bit up by saying that by 2020, we had Welcome to Blumhouse, which you mentioned a few episodes ago. Yeah, and um, you—you saw? Did you see them all? Or I didn't
1: see them all? I think I've seen three or
0: four. Okay, so with good news, uh, two of the directors of the Welcome to Blumhouse were women. Mm-hmm. So it seems he's finally taken on his advice and they have found some female directors. So you had Veniceud, Sud or v- no, I think it's Veniceud. I apologize if I get that wrong. She had directed The Lie, which you had discussed. And we have Zoo Quirk, who directed Nocturnal, which I think was something about a, a girl playing classical music. Um, oh, yes. Mm. So Jason Blum claims that he's actually been on the lookout for female horror directors and we're welcome to Blumhouse. Hopefully we'll see more female directors linked again with Blumhouse, but this time with films being released on the silver screen in the very near future.
1: If Jason Blum is listening, as we know he is, um, hit us up. Um, we would very much like to be employed as um, reviewers.
0: Absolutely. You're a friend of the show and we will be your friend too. And. Yeah.
1: We We appreciate the support so far. Fair play. Yes. Yes.
0: Thanks for getting in touch,
1: sliding into our DMs, you know. It's been
0: groundbreaking.
1: Amazing. Amazing.
0: Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. So... From Blumhouse to a slightly smaller scale film, the film I'm going to discuss is St. Maud, which was directed in 2019 by Rose Glass. And this was her directorial debut. I have to say for some strange reason before I watch it, because I've been meaning to watch it since I saw a trailer first, yeah. I thought this was an A24 film it's actually filmed for it's by the like uh, British Film Institute oh wow yeah 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 yeah. so um and it was kind of it definitely
1: has that A24 kind of like I haven't seen it but it seems to have that kind of marketing and feel and like even imagery that's being put out there it does have that kind of
0: Oh yeah, um, uh, and, and you know, like I mean, for something I like, I appreciate a good film for film. But when I saw this, I was like, oh, even though it's not a twenty-four, I'm still really going to appreciate it. Now, um, I read. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I read reviews on Mm. it afterwards and people were just there some people were saying it was a bit slow paced um I have to say I think it was just done nicely I really would recommend people to watch it I know this sounds like as if you might say this afterwards but I'm gonna come back to it I just have to say I adored the film I Mm. thought it was very good um
1: I think Carrie had gotten on to us as well and she had said that I I think she had texted us and she was like have you seen it And she was like, it's my brother's favorite horror. Like he had said he'd seen it. It's absolutely amazing.
0: I would rewatch it again in a heartbeat. And because I think there's things I'd like to look into a bit more. Once you know such and such element about it, you might then go, oh, I could now rewatch it from a different point of view. Yeah. So we opened the film kind of with Maud prepping for her new post as a live in palliative care nurse. Uh, she is praying before her meal and she asks god what her purpose is the nurse from who she's taken over says that her patient is a see you next tuesday uh of course just as it's english and they have no problem saying that word it's just thrown right out there and i
1: um sorry to interrupt i was on the phone to my sister the last day and i said um i was like oh you know, I was trying to cover myself because I knew the kids were there. So I was like, "Oh, oh. absolutely, see you next Tuesday." And then all I heard was my niece Sienna, "What see you next Tuesday, mean? And I was like, "Oh, <sighs> yeah, yeah, she can understand that that does mean something. <laughs> like she's yeah, like she's a proper cold. human now." <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh God, and hit I that
1: was time. Like, Sorry, bye. <laughs>
0: this is yours now
1: yeah, her mom was Smell like mom. no it's just a really bad word you're not allowed to say and she was like and you're also not allowed to ask people what to see you next Tuesday stand for
0: or say it to anyone oh, <laughs> see you next Tuesday it becomes her new like goodbye you're like <laughs> <Bye>.
1: <laughs> yep
0: um so moving so yeah that's that's brilliant that is just gas that that tickles me nicely mm-hmm. um so we also see at the very, very opening of the film that Maud was working on someone um, and she was in a, there was someone in a hospital room and she's in, Maud's in the corner covered in blood and someone is just obviously dead. Um, so you can see she's had a bit of trauma beforehand. And so now she's obviously doing a living palliative nurse instead of working in a hospital. Mm. So whilst Maud is putting her things away in the room, she also puts up a crucifix. up so between The title, St. Maude, the crucifix she brought with her to her new place where she's staying and the fact that she was praying that she's very devout. So she's caring for a lady called Amanda, who is an ex-dancer and choreographer who was quite famous in her time. And now she's in a terminal stage of spine cancer. And you kind of get the vibe that Maude doesn't really approve of Amanda. as She drinks and she smokes considering i suppose if you have a terminal illness you know i'd be trying possibly every drug going to the walls i'd be like look it's terminal if anything this just might make it better so i'd be i'd be trying it all so obviously butt mod is We discover she's actually a recent convert and the saint around her neck is Mary Magdalene. And she says that she had to actually go online to buy it because I never would have thought that you could get a little charm necklace thing of Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. Um, And after a brief discussion with Amanda, who's scared of what will happen to her after she dies, Maud is convinced her calling by God is to become Amanda's savior, to save her soul. So Maud ditches all of Amanda's booze in a bid to help her, to which I did gasp. And if I had pearls, I'd have clutched them. I was just like, ooh, sacrilege. <laughs> um
1: the alcohol.
0: I know. I was like, what did it ever do to you? Um, Maud also tells Amanda's lover, Carol, uh, him Amanda also seems to give money to. So I wasn't 100% sure if she was like a prostitute or her girlfriend. And it, you mm-hmm. find out later on that they met on Tinder. So I think it's like, it's one of those ones where it's your partner who also like hits you up for money every once in a while and so Maud tells Carol that she has to leave her because she's trying to like save Amanda's soul and she needs to she's in a fragile state now and she needs to actually concentrate on saving her and soul, like being a better person so and it's not that she has a problem with being a same-sex couple I think she also just sees that Amanda is vulnerable and lonely because obviously she was this famous dancer and choreographer now she is gone from the city she's at some seaside resort now just living by herself with only her care so she's lonely so she's obviously going to try and find comfort with someone and Carol is taking advantage of that so maude is basically just telling her to leave her alone Mm -hmm. and so maude then later on goes outside for a walk uh, along by the seaside and she gets called by a woman who's calling her katie so it turns out that she's an ex-colleague of maude's from her previous job in the hospital she's surprised that maude is working again as a nurse and as a carer Mm. and she's saying don't they know what happened previously um, so again, I'm going back to the opening scene where Maud was basically elbow, elbow deep in blood with the dead patient <laughs> beside her. Um, so we get the idea that obviously, as I said, Maud had something horrific happen to her beforehand, so she could no longer work in the hospital. So you don't know whether she accidentally killed someone or it's just the trauma of having someone die horrifically in front of you um and then when she comes back later on she purposefully burns her own hand on the stove so I was starting to get this vibe I was wondering is she going to become one of those like um penance. Mm, like the flagell- flagellants it was an Italian group of um like real severe uh ca- Catholics who would like whip themselves on the back mm. of the, they do flagellation on their back so as a way of the pain would bring you closer to God um so she mm-hmm. reminds
1: yeah, but like, again, I haven't seen the film, but from the imagery and everything, she really reminds me of Margaret White, Carrie's mother. Mm. Yeah, um, you kind of
0: would get that vibe. She's but she's not as strict as she's not giving out to Amanda about her way of life. And she's not making her feel that not at Mm -hmm. all. She's like being really nice to her. There's a scene where um, Amanda calls her in. They're about to have lunch and Maude was going to have it in the kitchen, but Amanda calls her in to have it in the sitting room. And this is after she calls. She had previously when Maude had her calling, basically she knows she's going to save Amanda's soul. Uh, She had called her, Oh, my angel and so Maud is praying just having grace before her lunch so Amanda joins in with her but Maud has this thing where she says I can feel God's presence in me Mm -hmm. and I can hear him speaking to me from time to time but it's weird it almost looks like Maud is having an orgasm with Mm -hmm. the the enrapturing sense that she gets in her body and so she gets this after she's praying because she sees that a man is praying beside her and she's like, Can you feel him? And the man is like, Yes, yes, I can. But I'm not 100% sure at that stage. Is she winding her up? Is she waiting for something? Because you're just expecting her to go, Oh, I don't believe. You know, I'm dying. What's the point of trying to believe in God? Nay. But then you also think when people are facing their upcoming death, yeah, do they, would they, they, turn- they
1: find yeah. some sort of kind of solace in the thought that there is something after?
0: Mm-hmm. so Maud after getting Carol to leave she's beginning to feel like as if she'll have Amanda almost to herself um and she's kind of being a bit not obsessive she's looking through all of Amanda's past as a dancer she's getting her in the house because Amanda is in a wheelchair and she's kind of situated downstairs so Maud gets to kind of go through some of the rooms upstairs and so but then it's Amanda's birthday so she's hosting a party in her house and Next thing you know, Maud is getting the cake ready and there's friends from the city all over the place. But Carol shows up and Amanda's absolutely delighted. She's wearing gorgeous dress and she's like, oh, look at you, look at you. And Maud is just enraged. Um, and then as they're doing the birthday cake and cutting up the pieces, and Maud is just about to go hand it out. She overhears Amanda talking about her in the, when she was trying to send Carol away. Amanda says she's not sure if Maud is a bigot or jealous of their relationship. Amanda mocks Maud for being a savior in front of the other partygoers. And then also there's a time when she's trying to leave. You can see she's just like mm-hmm. it's like she got slapped in the face. And she tries to leave. And they grab like a napkin and, and put it over her head, like you know, like oh, a nun yeah. almost. And then they're like, oh, say Maud, oh. And she's just, oh, she's, she's I can be it. no, she's like got a white rage going through her, also like just the humiliation of it all. Um But then just as she's trying to leave, Amanda grabs her hand and says, look, don't pay any attention to me. Don't take me seriously. I've had a lot to drink. She's also not used to drinking alcohol anymore because of all her treatment. And she just said she's trying to get Maude to loosen up. And Maude and then Maude just slaps Amanda right in the face uh, in her party. A woman who had terminal illness who she's meant to be looking after. So she promptly loses her job and ends up going back to her own little like it's a one bed it's a one room apartment it's this little dingy thing where it's bedroom kitchen this is all you so she's back from going from a lovely house to this apartment um and then it's kind of like a narration throughout the film maude uh, speaking to god so she does this again she's going out for a walk and
1: <laughs> sorry it's really stupid it was like maude to god
0: god Maud <gasps> to brilliant. God. This is mod to God. God, come in. This is mod. Over, over. It's like, did you ever see
1: Agnes Brown? No, um, I missed
0: that. It's so
1: brilliant. Uh, The film, and she walks into the church, and it's this church in Dublin, and she goes up to the holy water. She blesses herself, and she goes, hello, God, it's me, Marion. And then she just walks (laughs) out. Peace. It's brilliant.
0: So oh great. i must give that watch i had heard so much about that tom of jones
1: west. is in it angelica houston you, yes you actually can't go wrong Spartacus she's originally the dog.
0: from mayo uh, angelica houston yeah really? yeah the west i think she only got to spend like i think a few years of her life in ireland before they went to america but yeah she's <laughs> irish we can claim her there you go mm. every time for...
1: i mention her name my mom goes <laughs> Jack Nicholson, he's a dirty dog. He promised on her dad's deathbed that he'd look after her and then he never married her. He's a dirty bastard.
0: In all honesty, have you seen like pictures of Jack Nicholson like on his yacht with his shirt open, like eating a big roll? And he you just look at him now and you're like,
1: (laughs) To be fair, um, he's living my best life. So (laughs) absolutely. If I could be on a yacht eating a roll, I'd be
0: like, I made it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, moving on from that (laughs) lovely Jack Nicholson on a yacht to poor Maude (laughs) and having a Maude to God moment. Maude to God. Asking for the big man to come back to her because at this stage, she is lost. She feels like she lost her one calling, uh, her vocation, and she doesn't know what to do. Um, Alongside, there's a scene where instead of changing the bandage from the burn on her hand, she's picking the scab to inflict more Mm, pain. This kind of happens where it's, it's floating in between her talking to God going she's saying that she has been a loyal servant to him. And if this is his treatment to a loyal subject, then she shudders to think of what will happen to disbelievers. So she's kind of, you can see in between all that, it keeps flashing back to her picking at her hand. So again, the pain, maybe she feels it because if she deserves the pain and that this is her punishment and she needs the pain to focus more on her religion. So we kind of see what might've been Maud's life when she was Katie when she was the nurse in the other hospital yeah. she's kind of like she's lost her faith she's gone back to her old way she's dressing because I mean beforehand she was like uh I'm actually doing a disservice to all women because some of them dress great, but she's just like a nun. She's like a retired nun, how she's dressing. You can tell she's only in her twenties. Yeah. So now she's dressed for a night out. She's wearing like a really revealing top, like it's backless. Um, It's like the two strips of material down the front and then kind of tied in around the waist. She's also got a slim, gorgeous figure. So she pulls it off. But so she's out, she goes to a pub by herself, starts drinking beers and she catches, she's like looking, you can see she's just scouring the place. She catches the eye of a man. They have a nod, next to you know, boom, in a corner somewhere in a hallway. It's still in the pub, it's not quite in the bathrooms. She's giving him a hand job. And <laughs> yeah, I was just like, ooh, I wasn't expecting that. Hello. Um, yeah you're like oh okay that was quick Uh, and speaking of quick he finishes fairly quickly and uh she just kind of like grabs some tissue dries her hand and walks away because he's like apologizes so I really don't know how quick that was Mm -hmm. and um and then she just leaves him and then she sits back down and the guy like blanks her gets his friend who he came in with and they just leave. And then she goes into the bathroom and she tries to ring this nurse, this ex-colleague and like, oh, do you want to come out for a few drinks? Uh, I'm out in the pub. And then this nurse had just finished a shift. So she's absolutely wrecked. We have friends who are nurses. We know how tired that they can get. Yeah, so you definitely wouldn't hit one of them up at the end of a 12-hour shift. Like, want to get some drinks? They'd be asleep in the corner by the time they've just walked in the door.
1: They do my God work.
0: Absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. they're mod to god mod to god
1: <laughs> Mad to god
0: <laughs> so yeah the friend won't go out with her so she's like no it's okay do you know what I probably won't stay long I'll go home or oh no she said I think she said "I have friend's coming as well so she's like it's not so bad but no one's coming so she drinks along where you just see her like drinking shots drinking beers and then in the pint she starts to see her in everyone's drink it's like um Look like a little tornado in the drinks like it's swirling and so she's like freaking out and she knocks over people's drinks and then she bumps into a guy and knocks his drink and he says oh you owe me a new drink and I was actually worried that he was going to get like rough and go oh you owe me a drink but no boom next shot they're in his space and they're having sex and I was just no, like no. Oh. so you can just see she's really spiraling like this woman and previous scene was like trying to save someone's soul and now she's having like uh, giving a guy a hand job and Having a one night stand with a guy, you can just see that she's just gone from it two extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she's on top of him and as she has her hands on his chest, she starts to see blood everywhere, and she's having a flashback to the very start of the film when the patient had died, and so she sees ha- blood everywhere on her hands, everything. So she freaks out, and then he's like trying to calm her down, and you're thinking, "Oh, that's nice." He's trying to calm her down from the the fit that she's having. But instead of calming her down, he then decides to keep on partying with her, even though she briefly says no, she oh. doesn't fight him off. And again, luckily it's quick, but like two seconds later, he's finished and he doesn't apologize or anything like that. He just says, I know you from he's before. He's a fucking see
1: you next Tuesday.
0: He is. And he's a fat see you next Tuesday as well. Um, so you're just kind of thinking, because I remember thinking I would never have expected her to go back with them. But it just seems like she's looking for anyone to just lose herself in. Mm -hmm. But he says, I remember you from before. You used to be here a lot when you were the nurse working in the pub and you got off with one of my friends. So like, I feel like as if this is just to help us think of what it was like. And I think that that makes a lot more sense as to why her like patron saint of her necklace was Mary Magdalene, like the fallen woman, because she had, after... She left the hospital. She became really religious. So I wonder if she was like, I was someone who used to just get off of guys. Yeah. So maybe she sees this Saint Mary Magdalene in her eyes, like as her patron saint and someone who can be redeemed even after if you had time where you were doing that. Which there's nothing wrong with doing it. But women always have the attitude of if you're that kind of person, then you know, oh, you're up to trouble.
1: you're taught that like Mary Magdalene
0: is like you're you're she was the first prostitute in history like yeah according to the bible
1: yeah if you grow up like the way we did in Catholic Ireland you're Mm -hmm. like totally shamed and it in any place of the world it doesn't matter about your religion if you know have sex before marriage if you are
0: you're promiscuous you're the scarlet lady yeah
1: if you for any reason enjoy sex but like because women can't and it should mm-hmm. only be a pleasure that men look for men are it's like so their their wild
0: oats beforehand and women are shamed for even smiling at another man it's
1: that whole geordie shore thing of like you know the girls be like how many people have used slept and be like oh hundreds and hundreds like and the guys are like saying this but then they do the whole thing of like, oh, I'd sleep her, with her, but I wouldn't bring her home to be to me mom, and I wouldn't. She's not wife yeah. material because she slept yeah. with X amount of people, and it's like, uh-huh. all right, you prick.
0: Double standards. They're walking STDs. Mm. But yeah, but that's fine. That's grand. Oh, anyway, moving on. We could talk about this element for for way <laughs> Don't too worry,
1: long. It's coming up in mine. <laughs>
0: We hit back on it. Um, so Maud drunkenly stumbles back to her apartment and she begs God for guidance. She promptly vomits and has a fit while well, simultaneously fireworks are going on outside the apartment and Maud then levitates. So to her, God has spoken. Um, the next day, Maud puts thumbtacks in her runners. Oh no. Facing up uh, to pierce her flesh and goes oh out for a walk, God. which as soon as she stands, she just goes, Ah, and you'd, you'd imagine she'd be like, all right, none of that. No. no, 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 no. She decides to go really painfully slow walk. And as she's out for a walk, she spots Amanda's house and she decides, okay, God has spoken to me. I can't give up this easily. I am going to take back up my vocation one way or another. Um, One night in her apartment, Maud hears the voice of God speaking to her in Welsh, which Maud actually has a very light Welsh accent to her. And it turned out that the voice of God was an actress who played Maud speaking in Welsh, but they did it in a deeper octave when it was recorded and they slowed it down. And it's really good because like you get no indication that it's Welsh, but obviously just because like from being in Ireland and being so close to the British Isles, i've heard welsh before um just from like television shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that so um and actually there's a podcast i fo- i follow called all kill no Filla. and the two women who are on it have i think their dads are welsh so they speak a bit of welsh every like Ooh. once in a while when they're talking all sorts so it's it's actually very lovely sounding language so it's god speaking to her so instead and- of
1: mod god it's named mod mod
0: yeah, mod to mod. But we don't yeah. know that. We don't know that she's, it's, yeah. Because uh, this was just something I looked up afterwards because um, I was tricky. interested. I was like, they couldn't pick Tom Jones. No that would have been whew, <laughs> that, so God I'd worship Why? And um, so he tells her she has one last task and Mod asks what she needs to do God informs her that she's always known what it is she has to do and you're kind of seeing a picture of an angel engulfed in flames it falls down beside her and throughout the film Mod has been playing with a lighter on and off so it's kind of a bit foreshadowing um, so Mod prepares herself uses uh, her pale pink bedsheet and fashions it to look like you know kind of like a saintly how they are in all the pictures with their robes and she puts on wooden rose rubies and she heads out to Amanda's house, wait, waits for the new nurse to leave and then lets herself in with the spare key. She goes to Amanda's room and Amanda doesn't seem scared to see her, in fact she actually apologizes to Maud for how things went down. Maud tells her that God forgives her and tries to bless her head with water she brought with her from the apartment that she had earlier blessed. Amanda slaps her hands away, tell Maud, she tells Maud to snap out of it and that God is not real. When Maud then starts to cry, Amanda tells her that it was too easy. And then Maud sees that she has been possessed by a demon out to test her newly found faith. It just absolutely snaps. And Amanda's like kind of, she's taken on a bit of a demonic look. Her mouth has dropped and she pushed Maud away. Um Maud then grabs scissors on a dresser that was beside her and frantically stabs Amanda to death um, we know that Maud hallucinated that and she has truly just murdered Amanda but to Maud this is 100% what has happened in reality hmm. she yeah um, and she just leaves um, and she goes back to her apartment she cleans herself up and she rests the next morning, Maud dons her bedsheet again and the rosary beads. She takes a large bottle of acetone with her to the nearby seaside area. Which you see, I honestly thought she was going to set the two of them on fire. Mm-hmm. And consume them in flames and that would be how they go because you see her with acetone before and because she had a bottle with her i actually thought she was just going to douse amanda in acetone and set the two of them on fire but she was using other water she'd blessed but anyway so Maud takes the acetone she's standing and just right in front of a load of people on the beach, and she douses herself and sets herself alight. She mm. believes that the nearby people that the witnesses see her as an angel alight, but for a brief, like it's all slow motion, she looks beautiful and goofed by the flames and very ethereal. But for her brief millisecond, we see her charred body screaming whilst on fire.
1: Oh, okay,
0: like that's the reality that they see, um, and that's how the film ends. And um, so. It, it was a great film dealing with mental health issues and yeah that's, When you were saying
1: together. that I was like, that's what I'm kinda getting from this.
0: Yes. Um, like obviously there's a scene where the ex-colleague, um, it's actually just as uh, she's kind of about to get herself ready to go out to Amanda's house, the colleague comes over um and just says, Look, I'm sorry I didn't come out with you on that night out I was finished a shift and I've been thinking about it and I'm really sorry that no one stuck up for you after the incident in the hospital it wasn't your fault, no one stuck up for you and they just let you go she goes it wasn't right so and you can just see like because Maud is like she kisses the friend and she's like I'm okay now because she sees all the religious artifacts in her apartment and she's like oh this is nice you know you've you've found religion uh, but you can kind of tell that she's worried about how Maud is acting mm-hmm. and she's like I'm going to come back to you like I have to go to work but I will come back to you like the next day and see how you are um obviously by that stage Maud would have then set herself on fire but you can just kind of see that She's obviously going through something, but completely unchecked. She has no, there's no mention of her even speaking to her parents. There's no mention of anyone being around to support her. She gets this job. Her only other interaction, apart from that friend, was with Amanda. When she lost Amanda, she fell back into just trying to escape through men. And then she goes back to God and just loses it really yeah. um and there's also the we get to see the duality of loneliness in both amanda and maude who deal with it in different ways where amanda surrounds herself 2d selfish social friends of her past and a girlfriend she has to pay with um, just to be with her and maude has thrown herself into a devout religion to perhaps make up make up for her mary magdalene-esque past and the death of a patient at her hands so yeah sounds brilliant it is, it is. And apologies for the big spoiler, but there was no way I could end it without having to say kind of how it goes. Um, but even though I have apologized again, I have spoiled it because uh, it is only out like a year or a bit. To be but fair, if feel... though,
1: anyone who listens to this podcast <laughs> knows that's kind of our thing. Like I you know.
0: Like, We're you, shameless.
1: You can't really talk about it properly if you're not going to go I definitely couldn't
0: have ended that by I mean I suppose I could but um yeah everybody just just get yourself that men in black thing where it raises your memory and you're fine absolutely but totally like it's a film even though I know how it ends like I said before I'd watch it again and I couldn't recommend it enough to people uh like I said some audience reviewers found to be a bit uh boring and slow paced but like most cinema critics raved about it but like I I just say watch it for yourself and see how you feel yeah. um because like that you get the vibe of you know it's not going to end well you just know that the way that she's so on edge yes but I have to say, it's it was just a fantastic film. And it's only like, I think it's an hour and 24 minutes. So I just think it might plod a bit, but it needs to be at the pace it's at. Okay, and, okay. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what Rose can come up with after this. I have to say, I really liked it.
1: Oh, brilliant. Oh. Amazing. I'm definitely going to have a uh, watch of it. Um, For mine, I looked at Jennifer's Body, 2009. Yeah. Um,
0: it's a great film,
1: and like it's such an amazing film. It also has such amazing females involved in this film. Mm-hmm. It has such an amazing team surrounding females, and
0: just it's not afraid to get down to the nitty gritty topics as well and no, shove it in your face.
1: And I just loved it. And again, this is another film that one hundred percent gets a lot of criticism for um, for being massively misunderstood and massively mismarketed like (laughs) yeah hugely (laughs) mismarketed. and I think pretty much all of the main cast have said that the reason why this film flopped was because of the terrible marketing that was involved Um, in
0: it that's what I mean like that's the, the studios getting control over like a lot of directors and that they they can't control what goes out into the Uh, on the trailer and then it's they're still blamed for why it doesn't go well they're like well this is your film we're like well if you let me market it how it should be yeah and no they just wanted it as a straight straight up like scare them up film
1: it's the same as I think I was talking about it when I was talking about um Black Christmas the Mm. the kind of um third installment even though they weren't (laughs) (laughs) the second remake I suppose um where I'm pretty sure it was Weinstein Dirtbag came in and was like you need more scares and you need more jumps and I want you to do this to this girl and like the director was like look is it Weinstein or is it
0: Wankstein oh god that's his new name that I've called Mm. him after listening to what was it the True Crime Obsess episode on him
1: he's just a dirty fucking bastard is what Mm -hmm. he is Um, and yeah he was just like yeah like it's gonna kill the film yes
0: yeah. oh yeah but this is what i want yeah
1: and um, this is you know the money behind it there you go um so it is it's directed by karen kusama mm-hmm. you know because uh yeah so karen kusama so she has directed um quite a few Different movies, so I'll just. Share. I actually
0: saw her name come up quite a bit when I was looking into because yeah. I kind of look and see ones who had directed like more than one film, and her name cropped up a good bit.
1: Yeah, so she before Jennifer's Body, she had done Am Flux, and she had also oh. uh, directed an episode of The L Word. Then she did Jennifer's Body, and she also did The Invitation, which was a movie that you covered um before, yeah. um, and a movie that Virginia watched this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And with Shout that out. about it. Um, yeah. The screenplay. So I've actually looked into the screenplay writer as well. And I think if you're talking about Jennifer's body, you actually can't really talk about this movie without talking about Karen um, and Megan Fox and mm-hmm. Diablo Cody, who I think might be who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> um, so Diablo Cody is the screenwriter, um, her birth name is Michelle Bushy um so she oh I take
0: this green name then
1: so basically right she was just after coming off um Juno and she won an Oscar for Juno and Diablo Cody right so she's originally from Chicago I think the thing is there's so many great stories behind the women who are behind this movie yeah um great stories (laughs) mightn't be the best word sorry interesting stories because some of them are very sad
0: oh okay
1: so um Diablo Cody basically she's from Chicago Illinois she moved um to another place with her then boyfriend um and sorry she moved to Minnesota with her then boyfriend who has subsequently become her husband Mm -hmm. um where she decided to um do stripping as a hobby so she learned how to do stripping she was working in an agency and got a promotion and the job just like wore her out and okay. um broke her down as many jobs do and um she sat down she spoke to the husband and um, her boyfriend um and she was like I want to start stripping for a living and um she left her job and she did and she started a blog about okay. stripping and she did right. it under yeah so this is how she actually kind of became like notable if you will yeah yeah so she started this um blog about her um her life as a stripper wow. and she did it under the pseudonym of diablo cody so her parents wouldn't know yeah
0: well yeah yeah hard thing to explain
1: yeah, well, I, do you know she just she just didn't want to. Um, oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Because um, yeah, it, it, it very much for her, from what I've seen, was very much a decision that she took. This was what she wanted to do, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. It, it. I think there's a whole topic and a whole um, debate around. Um, it's funny. I don't see debate is the wrong word. I feel because. Um, if somebody is willingly going into a job that is safe for them a debate shouldn't be had around it it's when it's taken out of their control but Uh the whole the whole conversation about sex work is real work so it was very relevant to what is actually going on in the world now so I just found her story like really fascinating Mm -hmm. and so then she went on and she um she did Juno and um, she won an Oscar for this and then she came to Jennifer's Body so she was a screenplay writer for Jennifer's Body so before I get into kind of the conversation of the women involved in Jennifer's Body we'll just do a really quick kind of run through of what it is so you have these two best friends they say that it's sandbox love and never dies. So mm-hmm. they're best friends from when they were really young. So very similar to us. Like yeah. we've known each other from day dot. Um, our whole group is very, like I think our newest member is Carrie and we got her quite a while ago.
0: <laughs> we snatched her at 18. Snatched
1: her up. Um, so you, excuse me, you have these two best friends. They're in high school. It's funny, again, I was, <laughs> I was watching a couple of different um, videos on YouTube about this and like you have people who are like, so the two main actresses are Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, two mm-hmm. stunningly beautiful women, mm-hmm. very different in the yeah. way that they look but two mm-hmm. stunningly beautiful women and there was like, there is this one particular video kind of series that I watch and it's like everything wrong with oh I
0: watched the yeah. yeah
1: yeah so they did an everything wrong with Jennifer's body and then they did this whole thing of like oh my god there's Amanda Seyfried she has glasses on so therefore she's ugly and I'm like actually
0: whoa sorry. she's just Amanda Seyfried with glasses
1: oh no no he was saying this is ridiculous yeah. because she's not ugly but I was oh, yeah, like yeah. that wasn't the point she was never meant to be ugly not in any part of this movie did they say it's that she never was mentioned. to be the ugly best friend they were actually two very beautiful friends <laughs> and it was never this case like she does turn around and say at the start of the movie where she's like you'd look at Jennifer and you'd wonder why a person like her would be friends with a nerd like me where she's like we have totally different personalities and totally mm. different kind of dynamics and that's where it lies where the differences are it's not this whole thing of like they're pitting each other
0: it's around. more than skin deep
1: absolutely and of course the second i heard that <laughs> the second i heard that i went straight back to like black christmas the third one and i was like this is it this is it i'm just gonna kill everyone again <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's left
0: over after the first wave gets gone in the second
1: just come on yeah anyone who was like oh yeah know, i still stand by what i said about the remake um in 2019 of black just keep coming I've, I've got you i've got more for you so they have <laughs> um they go to see a band um needy is um amanda seyfried's character uh jennifer is played by megan fox needy has a boyfriend he's very cute Um, their relationship is really sweet jennifer doesn't have a boyfriend they're going to see this band they're very kind of like the killer's ex
0: Mm. X. <laughs> it's so 2009 so for the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you have them, they play this song that quite literally the intro to it, I was expecting it to go into oh my love. Gender, oh yeah. Listen to both the of co- them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh well. Um oh. but if fire breaks out, um they get out, thankfully, and then Jennifer is taken off in this like dingy old um van and she's sacrificed so she's sacrificed so that the band can get successful and to be fair it pretty much works so they I can't super. count the amount
0: of vh1 behind the musics i watched on bands where oh and we sacrificed another teenage girl i mean it's just it's so old right now
1: i know like, it's been done but it, oh. do you know it's successful mm. So the thing is they didn't realize that actually Jennifer survives and she comes back. She gets, she comes to Needy's house because where do you go when something terrible happens? Oh, you go to yeah. your best friend, you go home. Um, so you have this whole dynamic where Needy knows something horrific has happened to um, her best friend, Jennifer, but she, she can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she said she looks like roadkill. <laughs> And what I think one of there's great like comedic kind of sayings and stuff in this film. And it's very sweet. It actually is quite reminiscent of like friendships you would have had when you were younger. Like it's it's quite funny. But <laughs> um, Jennifer goes into the fridge. She pulls out this full cooked chicken. She puts it onto the floor. And Needy is like, um, my mom got that from the Boston... Farmers market and we're not supposed to eat it. And she's crying and she's like munching this whole thing in, and then she starts screaming at her, and there's just like tar everywhere. And it's hilarious. The whole Boston <laughs> food market thing yeah. I thought was one of the best parts of it. So it goes on. Um, Jennifer comes into school the next day, everybody's devastated because loads of people have died in the uh-huh. town. Um, I don't know why anybody went to school the next day. Yeah. (laughs) Beyond me. But Jennifer is like more than flawless. Like she looks absolutely amazing. She feels amazing. She really doesn't give a shit about what happened the night before. She's kind of like, okay, they're dead. I'm over it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And this kind of continues through until she starts to get really run down. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have this other character who's this kind of like, he's every boy we would have loved when we were that age. Oh God, So he's yeah. very much like Green Day kind of, <laughs> just we would have been all about him. So, Side
0: fringe to the max.
1: Oh yeah, the lip piercing, he has mm-hmm. stripes on. So he <sighs> asked Jennifer, out. Right, you kind of get the feeling this wouldn't have been um, usual needy's Mm -hmm. like Colin's a really nice guy why wouldn't you go out with him and then she's like okay no bother and they do go out she kind of lures him to this like totally abandoned house and um I totally forgot at this stage she's actually killed one of the other guys (laughs) like just eaten him and tore him to shreds see how you
0: could forget that
1: yeah yeah (laughs) it's so trivial there's so many people and there's so many people dead at this stage so
0: much stuff happening
1: Exactly. Um, so then Colin's lord to this house. Um, he's brought in and he, she's like all seductive and stuff like that. And then she just starts to eat him. But at this, at the same stage, um, Needy and her boyfriend um, are having sex. And it's that really like, I like the way they did it. Because they did it in the awkward way that teenagers have sex. It's not this like,
0: it's not passion can, embrace.
1: Yeah, it's not after prom. There's no like, you know, um, like loads of
0: candles, petals yes. and
1: candles yeah. and stuff like this. But because their bond is so strong, Needy actually starts to get really horrific kind of feeling and images and stuff like that. So she's like kind of screaming and she she's quite scared. And the boyfriend turns around and is like, oh my God, are you okay? And then he gets a smirk and he's like, Am I too big? And it's just, it's just so perfect. It's just everything that, like when you were younger, you would have been worried about and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes on anyway. Um, you have the prom scene. You can tell that uh, Needy knows that something weird has gone on. She's gone to the occult section in the library. She realizes <laughs> if there is um if a virgin is sacrificed and they're not a virgin, they actually become a demon. Um and Jennifer then lures the boyfriend to his death at the uh, prom and later on she's sitting in her she's lying on her bed and Needy comes into the room she breaks into the room and she has a box cutter (laughs) Jennifer turns around and is like oh do you get all of your uh, murder weapons at Home Depot and it's (laughs) this whole like it's so perfect and then she like levitates and she pulls the necklace off her they both have these bff necklaces Mm -hmm. and and they fall onto the bed once that happens and it's really slow motion and you can tell that this is just the absolute end of their friendship and with like their sisterhood and it's Mm -hmm. like this like huge thing for when you're younger like that is such a big thing when you lose a friendship like that um and especially when one is a demon and they've just killed your boyfriend um So they. Fall. We all know
0: what that feels like.
1: Yeah, uh, they fall down. Um, Needy Jan- stabs Jennifer. Jennifer turns around and is like, "My tit," and Needy <laughs> goes, "No, your heart." And the whole thing is like Diablo Cody says that that's one of her favorite lines in the whole thing because the whole way through you're looking at Jennifer's body but what she is trying to get you to look at is Jennifer's heart and actually Jennifer as a person. Yeah. This like perceived like kind of sex goddess who's been put on this like absolute unattainable um, pedestal Mm -hmm. which was so mirroring of like Megan Fox's like yeah. at the time, um, yeah, it's just, especially
0: after Transformers. Oh, it was
1: just crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, then it goes back to needy. Um, it actually starts with her in an institution. She's known as the kicker, um, and she was bitten during the whole altercation. Um, mm-hmm. After she, it, at the start, she kicks one of the uh, people who's looking after her, so she's put into isolation. And she said one thing that um a lot of like even scholars to do with the occult doesn't don't realize is if you get bitten by a demon and you survive, you absorb some of their powers. So she's levitating, she kicks out of the um the room and mm-hmm. she leaves. And this like really dirty old man picks her up, but actually nothing happens. Okay. But he kind of looks at her as if he's like eh, i'd like her
0: um, sizing her up
1: yeah and you're just like oh god
0: yeah.
1: um and she's like oh i'm following this band it's actually their last night tonight and she goes to the concert goes to the um she goes to the hotel room and um she essentially she kills them but she, on the way the whole thing is the town is called devil's kettle and the place where they um sacrificed jennifer is this like water like kind of like this hole in okay. the waterfall and they all like, right put loads of stuff down it but they can't figure out where it comes out of so mm-hmm. she actually finds the knife that they killed jennifer with it's just on the side of the road so it's this whole full circle thing where she kills the band with the knife so, I missed about 10,000 things that happened in the movie there, but it was actually more that I wanted to talk about Megan Fox and Diablo Cody and Karen mm-hmm. um, in relation to this movie more so than the actual movie. But you should definitely go and watch it. So, two podcasts. Oh, yeah, ever listen to it. It's so good. Like, it's, it, it was massively misunderstood. And it really has this terrible reputation and people just go, oh, I'm not watching it. It has the kind of like Taylor Swift effect where people just go, oh, I just fucking hate Taylor Swift. And I'll put my hands up and I used to be so anti-Taylor Swift. Why was I anti-Taylor Swift? Because somebody told me to. Do you know what I mean? And not uh-huh. somebody specifically. It was just this wide thing in the world where people
0: were just like, oh, "Fucker." And then, I know she's got some good songs, but I just cannot stand that song "Shake It, Shake It
1: Off." Oh, like it that latches her onto your music. brain. Do you know what I mean? It totally aside from her music, it wasn't even her music. It was just her oh. as a person, and I don't even know the girl. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I actually love her music, um, but it was more this kind of media portrayal and like this thing where they she was completely her herself was almost marketed. By, like anti-Taylor Swift people
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and Megan Fox is definitely one of those people as well who is like, yeah she really, really is really got this terrible name but actually if, if anyone does have that kind of same feeling about Taylor Swift go and watch her documentary it's absolutely amazing it will totally flip you around it will make you turn around she's winning up-
0: that girl works
1: Oh my works. god, she works so much, and actually, it's just such a great thing. And you can, she says it herself. She was like, "Look, I didn't speak because I was told I couldn't." So, um, but no, definitely go and watch it. But two podcasts that I listened to for this um were um so two chicks and uh, a horror flick. They have an episode of Jennifer's Body, and I want them to be our best friends. Um. <laughs> be fucking cool um and I genuinely will go and listen to that episode because um just what they say is just so lovely and fantastic but they are um they're joined by Michael from We Love Horror Mm -hmm. um, and he has a podcast and he actually recommended it to us so definitely go listen to him as well and then Spilling Guts um another podcast horror podcast and they do one um, on Jennifer's body. And it's basically one of the presenters loves Jennifer's body. And one of the presenters absolutely loathes it. And okay. he said that he started to watch it in the first couple of minutes. He was like, oh, I'm really going to have to like eat my words here. It's really good. And then he was like, and then it was shit again. And um, So it, his second watch didn't make him love it anymore. <laughs> but the whole thing about this film, which I think... In itself is just so amazing. Is, and again, amazing, I mean, not in like <laughs> such a great thing, but it was so poorly mismarketed and mismanaged by the people who needed to present this movie to the world. Um, and there was so much going on with the lead actress, um, Megan Fox, at the time in her life, which is just so terribly sad. There's amazing um, sit-down with Diablo Cody and Megan Fox on YouTube. And again, I would 100% watch it. Mm-hmm. It really just is these two women who are sitting down, having a conversation about something that they both had in common, that it was almost like if I sat down with my friend and I was like, God, do you remember that night in the D Hotel when we were working? Do you know, it's just two girls yeah. having a chat and it's really nice it is really lovely and they talk about what was happening in their lives at the time so Diablo Cody says that she had always wanted to write a horror movie it was kind of her thing she always wanted to do it and she knew that she wanted to do to to write a movie about female friendships that it would be female focused and she wanted to write a movie about a girl who eats boys So she 100% did that. (laughs) She got what
0: she wanted, fair
1: play. Yeah, 100%. And she was like, it was this kind of cannibalism, sexy empowerment and revenge. And she knew it was bizarre and she knew it was going to be, um, that it wasn't going to be a super commercial movie, as she says herself. Um, But she really, really wanted to watch it. And when they were doing the casting, they had looked at quite a few people for needy. They had Emma Stone in, but from the get-go, they knew that Jennifer had to be Megan Fox and that was just it. Um, And there was a time that like Diablo Cody she says herself that she actually couldn't talk about Jennifer's body and the whole like experience of Jennifer's body and what happened afterwards but she she went to therapy and she had to like work through it Mm -hmm. because something that was such a passion project was so badly received and so and again I know I keep saying miss like marketed and misunderstood but it was so. but it was torn asunder
0: yeah, like, it was destroyed.
1: It was absolutely ripped apart, and it was a lot to do with the test screenings. So, the thing was with the test screenings, she said to herself that they they split it into two categories, basically. So they split it into people who like were like, "I love Juno, love Juno,
0: mm-hmm.
1: best film in the world." So they had those people, right? And it's funny, the love I have for Jennifer's body, and I genuinely do love this movie, I'm not a massive fan of Juno. I don't See, know why. It's,
0: I haven't watched it because I hate the two main characters as actors.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that's why I just won't watch it.
1: Yeah, Juno, you know, it's just, like I can understand like why it has like what it has. It just wasn't as for me as Jennifer's body is, which I just thought didn't was funny. Didn't speak to you. It didn't speak to me as much. Um, And and it doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it as a movie and all that stuff. It's just, and then they did. (laughs) Then they looked at um, the next demographic that they looked at were like 18 to 24 year old white males. No. Yeah. So it was, they just basically got the college jock in and they had these two, sets of people who were wildly different so mm-hmm. the Juno people came out and were like this is ridiculous I was expecting two cute like teenagers to be singing at each other and yeah. uh, that didn't fucking happen and then you had um these like jocks and it's not me putting people down it's actually the demographic that they went for yeah the profile that they were looking for who were kind of (laughs) like boobs they need to kiss more do you know it was like and when I was watching something where Amanda Seyfried she actually said before they even like signed the contract it was in their contract that they had to kiss in the movie
0: Jesus
1: yeah, and I've seen something where people were like, I don't see why that was in there. It was just this ploy. And I That's don't just... think it was, though. I think there was more of a meaning behind it. I really do think it was this moment where two best friends looked at each other and kind of went, it was that we love each other so much. Is it a friendship love? Is it not mm-hmm. a friendship love? You have those teenage emotions.
0: You're so, at that again, age, yeah.
1: Yeah, again, it was exploring this thing that like, fucking male Hollywood has gone and just hypersexualized and decided <laughs> let's put some boobs on it
0: it's yes. an honest to god experimenting like it's experimenting time of your life but they're like no two girls kiss uh,
1: absolutely and one of the things that was written down on one of the common cards so you write in you're like no I didn't like this but I didn't like that but one of the common cards that Diablo Cordo was handed and she said she didn't say it. I don't think she said it to Megan Fox at the time with three words and it was taken as gospel. Megan Fox hot. Jesus. And that made it up to like the head people. <gasps> um, when I was listening to the two girls in a horror flick and this wasn't something that I found, um, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, gasping when i heard them say it i was like shocked they actually wanted her to do interviews for this movie with soft core porn sites
0: seriously
1: yeah yeah so at the time it was after transformers
0: yeah
1: um so there was the whole michael bay he had said that, like, Megan Fox was this really difficult actress. It was mm. really...
0: He blacklisted her, basically. He
1: destroyed the girl.
0: He absolutely and he got to watch- destroyed her. Yeah, sorry to interrupt there, but like I was only thinking about this, like whilst you were talking about it, I wonder, like, if someone did some deep digging, like you don't even have to dig that far with Michael Bay to know that he's racist and he's bigoted, and he just goes for the flashy stuff and all the American flags in the film Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all army and military. It looks like an ad to go join the army, but like I wonder if. Basically he treated her like crap and she stuck up for herself. And so he kicked her out by the third film and he blacklisted her because she called him like it was like working with Hitler. But if you like even look at Joss Whedon and with I pronounced her name wrong, so I'm not even gonna bother, but the girl who played um, she was in Buffy and she was an yes. angel. and yeah. um, and she came out about how he had used her religion against her. He asked her if she was going to keep her baby. Like there's mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff where you think, and you think Joss Whedon was like, he had brought Buffy out from what was a not so great film. He helped write it into yeah. this big TV show. And you're thinking he's like a great feminist as a man and then you're like no he's not what goes on behind the scenes so you got to wonder like did michael bay just have a huge falling out with her used his power to blacklist her because she was seen as when she first oh came but there's like, no
1: question that's exactly oh yeah, 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 what he did yeah. it's exactly it, what he
0: did like uh, look at her name like she got into the teenage mutant ninja turtles and i watched the sequel to that and um there's a scene where she's like it's almost Britney Spears-esque where she's in the schoolgirl uniform, like she's stripping down. She's she did something and then so that she doesn't get caught by people, she changes into something else, and she's just like in next to no clothes, this tiny belt of a skirt, and um, this tied-up school shirt. Like it's awful that she's just been seen as being a hot-looking woman.
1: Yeah, and that's it. And like at the time, she was being so sexualized, and she said that mm. like, it, it, she actually says objectified isn't the right word for it
0: oh, yeah um,
1: God, no. and now it's like it, it just like it's not strong enough for what was happening to her at the time and yeah. at the time there was so much going on for her and the paparazzi took photos of her swimming in the lake Jeez. so there's this amazing um scene where she's swimming in the lake after killing one of
0: the boys oh yeah yeah
1: and at the time Perez Hilton was was like at the forefront of all these kind of like um all the gossip basically any he was all of the gossip media on social media now but it was Mm -hmm. just him he was like yeah the king of it and she said that she begged the producer to call Perez and not to post the pictures um and she just had like a breakdown she was so terrified that these would come out and that it would just be depicted again as, oh, there's Megan Fox swimming naked in a lake, of course. What and it a gets taken bitch. out of
0: context. Yeah.
1: And like, even if Megan Fox is swimming in a lake naked, so wonder, who fucking cares? <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. It's just like, absolutely not. Um, So at the time, she actually felt that she couldn't, like, she couldn't, like walk the red carpet she was terrified she didn't want to get her photo taken she thought that anytime she would go out and these are her own words that somebody would spit on her that um she would that they would yell or stone her for just being out and her belief system and because of what she had gone through was that she um that the world wouldn't accept her Mm-hmm. And that that was it. So she was she was out in the front before. Oh yeah. So it, it's actually very similar to what you were saying there and kind of alluding to. So basically, Megan is like it, Megan Fox said that she was out in front of the Me Too movement before mm-hmm. this all came to light. Yeah. It's just every single person went shut up. <laughs>
0: I know, yeah, it, no. she was on the cusp of it, but she was still the, the last of the people to, you know, get back in your place, get back in your box. Yeah,
1: yeah, she was very much, she spoke out, she said what she was happening and what were, all the awful things and people mm-hmm. were just totally No,
0: everyone took Michael Bayside and yeah. just immediately thought that she was going to be um, she was a difficult. tough actress to work with. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to say personally, it's why for, it took me so long to watch Jennifer's Body because I was like, oh, It's a Megan Fox film. but that's that's awful. No, and that's
1: that's what I mean with the whole like Taylor Swift thing. Do you know what Mm. I mean? I genuinely had that perception.
0: You come in hearing everyone's voices and opinions and you can't help but be swayed by it temporarily. Or for me, a good few years. I didn't watch that film because of. And now I'm like, oh, but. And I also think it means more to me now. I'm a lot more um, educated about our own you know what our genders had to go through and now i think it it should it should be re-released it should come out now yeah
1: it definitely has a way bigger following now and i think it'll like, be a cult classic it, it yeah it is 100 it yeah, it's already it is. is i'd say and if you would like similar to what Aaron was speaking about last week with um the invisible man like where he mm. was like i I actually can't believe it got the green light and he was saying I'm so delighted it did yeah um whereas now I think this movie would be so celebrated and especially because of the women who are involved as well Mm -hmm. so Diablo Cody talks about how she says herself that like she doesn't actually speak about anything to do with the industry because she expects somebody to turn around and go (laughs) you're a stripper who the
0: fuck are you Oh yeah. Just about like it? throw that back in her face. Like, yeah, like yeah. See, that's it. They're willing to dig up. And it's not even like dirt she was hiding because she wrote a blog about it. And because again, she's like, But it's not yeah.
1: even dirt. Do you know what I mean? No. Like it was because a she's not ashamed She, she chose. chose that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, this see, whole men thing. are willing to
0: throw it back and be like, I'm going to tarnish you in a way that it should, but she's like, No, I own this. This is this is my choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then you have this thing where it was kind of a moment where I went, like these are such strong and genuinely successful women within an industry where um isn't that easy for a woman. It's it, 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 taking that example of Jason Bloom turning around and going, oh, there's there's little to none horror directors and somebody going a quick little goog would have found you 600 and something of us yeah um, do you know you
0: didn't do your homework
1: you didn't do your homework so it is kind of this place where you're like
0: men can get away with throwing flipping for marks
1: it's a it's a and the the problem is as well is it's a man's world and there are a lot of women within that man's world who are are the men as well do you know what Mm I mean
0: oh yeah because they think it's easier if they act like the men and to be accepted and to move up in the world be like one of the boys
1: and it's it's that whole thing again I'll say 100% until I looked at myself and went why the fuck don't, you? <laughs> know one's saying so True, but I keep going back to Taylor Swift, like, mm. why didn't I like her? What was that? And that was me being a part of that, like, and that was yeah. me being a part of that problem. And when I kind of went, oh, God, ugh, that's so gross. And I was like, and it's amazing, like, in the last couple of years, I do think I've definitely um, become a much better person than I was and mm-hmm. like I don't want to be like oh it's an awful person I'm not saying that but I definitely no, you are not. had no. parts where I needed to learn some stuff and I like mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I did um so Diablo Cody she says that she was a bit of a needy character herself like she was bookish um and um once the movie kind of yeah so she was a bit bookish and once she changed her name things started to happen for her Mm -hmm. um so she um she once the movie happened and everything happened after the movie um she said that she kind of just went away she just didn't want to be Diablo Cody anymore yeah she didn't want to have any association to that because this had been considered such a major flop
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that she was like "I, I, I can't be this person anymore Um, And I totally get that. I know it sounds so silly and it's it's such a smaller scale, but I find like certain things this year It's just like, I just can't look at myself anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I'm looking at myself in a Zoom video call all day, five days a week. I look so different to what I usually would because fucking hell, COVID I have piled on the pounds, and I know that that's not like we're living in a pandemic and we're surviving in a pandemic but as well and it's not about weight and stuff like that but I don't feel like myself so Mm -hmm. I went and I cut all my hair off and I bleached it and I dyed it red because I'm no longer I'm like okay, I'm no longer looking at myself. I'm looking at somebody totally different. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, I get that on a different level. That Mm -hmm. speaks to me so much. And she said she went off and she had a child and she was totally different to that person because that person was like this, Woman who had just come off an Oscar, she had, um, she had just written this amazing screen thing. She had done yeah. her passion project, it had flopped, and now she was this woman who was now a mother,
0: and yeah. that was her identity. Priorities are shifted, yeah.
1: And she was like, I went from one identity to the next identity, and I was like, oh my god, um, they, I just, oh, the amount of raw I have for this yeah. thing, I'm going kind of like, oh. Um, so the question then is asked like and it's exactly what we just asked like would this movie have a different impact now after the me too mm-hmm. moment and of course we both said 100 percent, we do think it mm. would and she knew that the movie wasn't going to be super successful um but she it was a per- because it was a personal thing and she knew that she yeah. had written it for the masses that she had written it just for herself and the only difference between Oh yeah and um, so Megan Fox is saying that she she has tea every morning right and Mm -hmm. um, they have different sayings on them and she said um, one of her favorite sayings is that came from her tea (laughs) and it was the only difference between a weed and a flower is a judgment and I was Mm -hmm. like it's so cute and (laughs) then there was a part of me that was like but like I'm sure like biologically there's something different
0: but, <laughs> but just like, by looking
1: like, like in the ecosystem
0: <laughs> well yeah if we're gonna get down to the like, biology.
1: <laughs> but I was like on the surface <laughs> yeah
0: let's not get yeah. down into the flower's DNA
1: <laughs> so my, my my next bit of notes is just oh people are the worst <laughs>
0: that's that's not a lie that's the truth
1: just the worst so Megan starts to talk about how often in interviews people turn around to her and they're like oh my god it's so nice to see you in something you don't do anything anymore and she's like okay and um, because I have given birth to three children I've starred in... three wow okay uh, I
0: didn't...
1: yeah she she's three kids that like, many. yeah she I think one of the things I love that she said she was like I've given birth to three children and she was like I've also just dated those three children mm-hmm. so like they were in me for nine months and then I had to birth them and then like quite soon afterwards I had another one in there for nine months and had to give birth and she says I starred in a movie that opened worldwide number one twice and um, mm-hmm. she was on a critically acclaimed sitcom so she's a new girl brilliant in new girl and that is well funnily enough i was always like i'm not watching this this is so stupid favorite fucking sitcom it's just absolutely brilliant it's so positive it's so sweet and so cute if you can get past the first couple of episodes where you're like oh I don't." yeah we
0: watched the very first episode yes. together and we see i'm just again after the happening i'm not a fan mm-hmm. of zoe deschanel yeah.
1: go oh, back. i just can't
0: warm to her
1: go back and watch uh almost famous again and then oh, no, watches. I like her
0: not yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. um, but no, it's actually quite cute. and mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit because I'm a bit like Jess. Um which you are you know,
0: lovable and you are you do see the brighter sides to things.
1: I'm a bit ditzy. And it's great. I love it. I'm definitely embracing that a bit more.
0: Um, Oh, I was only actually talking like how, Jesus, I was actually talking to my husband, I think it was yesterday about, or even possibly earlier on today, how I am, you know, doing my best to not be seeing the, you know, the real doom and gloom side of things. Mm -hmm. It's so easy because I spent like from my teenage years. so easy. Yeah, I was like angry at the world. I still kind of have angry at the world kind of person, but I do try, I'm like, oh, it's like poison in my veins. Like I do try to be more positive about things and stopping like making such catty negative remarks as like it's like a knee-jerk reaction to something. It's almost I feel like as if if I was to be nice about something, it's not cool. But if I wanted to be cool or it's just I don't know. I feel like as if it's just something in me that I just need to try and work through.
1: But I think as well that is like something that it it was inherent when we were growing up. And it kind of was. And you yeah. do have those things where you go, but I think the fact that you can actually turn around and go, do you know what? This is something that I'd love to do something about is mm. like so amazing. And like, Yeah, it's hard it's to be self-aware like, of it and yeah, to acknowledge fantastic. it. And I actually think you're terribly positive. I always <laughs> kind of, t- no, honestly, as a friend as well, I'd always be mm. like the one person who always shows up who's always there like really makes an effort it's like you do you know what i mean you're part of that and you're always there to support so definitely don't put yourself down as much as you put yourself down in that thought because Mm. you are absolutely okay thanks
0: friend you've joined friend and women yeah women have hit hard. It doesn't have to be for one month we're gonna do a 365 people we are we're gonna do we are we're taking we're changing this goddamn. yeah
1: we're gonna talk a bit more i'll get more preachy it's gonna be beautiful yeah
0: yeah drop yourselves in people
1: yeah as our other oh, friend yeah. grace says well um thank you for uh attending grace. my, <laughs> my TED yeah.
0: talk. absolutely she gives uh, us some sage advice and says, thanks for attending Grace's
1: TED Talk. She does in fairness. Uh, but yeah, so Megan Fox has actually executive produced a program about archaeological controversies. Thought you'd Ooh, love that. Ooh,
0: yeah. Um and they have much, done quite a lot of controversies. Uh, like, they used to amazing. blow up stuff to get to it quicker.
1: Mm, and like if you think about something, you'd look and it's that whole thing of like you like <laughs> Megan Fox didn't do that, or I'm not going to watch that because it's Megan Fox. Yeah, like, what the like, fuck does she have to do It's mm. like no, why? Like why? Why? Why wouldn't she have something to do with that? Like
0: the, the poor girl, like that got blacklisted so early yeah. in her career. Like in the very beginning, she's like she's the new generation's Angelina Jolie. Then it's like no, she's a bitch to work with. Don't go near her. She's yeah. a terrible actress. Like she, the poor girl didn't stand a chance. And then she obviously took time out to better herself, become a mother, take time out, work in a lot of other things that people aren't even paying attention to. Yeah.
1: Like, but she, the whole perception that she took time out, she actually didn't. Like she was oh, working sorry, the whole yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah yeah and she that's the whole thing she's like she doesn't know how more productive a woman (laughs) needs to be to be seen as working and she said that she also and she was saying like that we like the collective kind of we herself Mm -hmm. and Diablo Cody she was like we work in an industry where women are treated like lepers when pregnant so you can't pass the five months and then she was she was I can't remember what she was filming um at the time but she was four weeks oh she got a call two weeks after giving birth to one of her boys and um she they were like can you come back in and she was like um you've had the baby
0: let's go I, I so that's a, yeah that's it's Hollywood has no time for you if you're pregnant yeah. it's seen as being an inconvenience and that you yeah. should be expected you have passed a human being through your body but you should just be able to boom snap back and go back into a film
1: yeah and the thing is she turns around and she goes so I think I went back four weeks after so two weeks after that phone call Oof. she was obviously barraged enough to go back Um, and she she actually talks about so her um she's three boys and one of her boys she says um is really creative and kind of loves to um dress up and he'll he'll choose between a dress or whatever he Mm -hmm. wants to go as so one year for Halloween he decided he wanted to go as um as a cheerleader like kind Mm. of a zombie cheerleader she was like oh I actually kind of played somebody like that before (laughs) and she said that I think she said he was seven or eight right Mm -hmm. and she she showed him the sacrifice scene now Diablo Cody's face kind of changes and (laughs) Jennifer (laughs) not Jennifer Megan Fox is kind of like no I know I know I shouldn't I don't know why I did it and she said that actually especially because she said she got so emotional when she was filming that scene because she went to a really dark place Mm. and it's funny when you're there's a, a reunion with um Karen there as well and she says that she was deeply affected during the um Sacrifice scene, as well as Jennifer, so as well as Megan. So it was obviously a really, really tough scene. Yeah. And she was like, Yeah, he wasn't okay for a while. And she was like, I still don't know why I did it. But again, I was like, This is just a mom like it's just a mom it's just yeah. a normal girl um and yeah so Diablo Cody kind of finishes off by saying like she she just knew she was fucked from the beginning because she won an Oscar for her first screenplay. plane she was like people Lot don't of people yeah yeah she was like people were turning around to her and be like so how many more are you gonna win and she was like this is it this like people don't win more than this mm-hmm. in their lifetime. I'm happy to have this. I'll take it out every swatch and be like, do you remember that um? And she's yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's what I'm happy about. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned Buffy the Vampire Slayer off the back of a really shit movie because she said that um she like went to loads of people and she was like, We should make this into a TV show. It would actually be a really brilliant TV show. And everybody was like, no, no, it was a failed film. Nobody's going to watch it. Who's ever going to watch a TV show on a, the back of a failed film? And she was like, have you ever heard of Buffy the Vampire Slayer?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: everybody closed their doors on her. And she said she's now getting phone calls on the back of it being such a successful movie now. And people yeah. want her to make it. So I
0: wonder. Yeah. I wonder what the future holds for that mm-hmm.
1: then. Yeah. So that was 2019 because it was a lot of tenure. Anniversary, yeah. So not yeah. that far off.
0: And, and bloody COVID then got in the way a year yeah, later.
1: Bloody COVID.
0: But well, yeah. you never know. This could be taking the time to creatively be like writing a screenplay for the TV show to adapt it, like to yeah. flesh it out.
1: 100%. So that's my love affair with Jennifer's body.
0: <laughs> no, honestly, it is. It, it's just one of those ones where it's like, I remember when we went to go see Black Christmas and I remember yeah. thinking... Uh, like I'd seen the original, I didn't see the first remake, and I remember thinking, "Going, oh Jesus, I'm going to watch with you." I had no idea that that film was going to have such a profound and neither effect.
1: Did I. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so that's why I think there's a whole new appreciation for yeah. it. Makes you dig back into films where it's it shows a harsh treatment of women, but also it just goes into it's like the fellas are like they are the side characters in Jennifer's yeah. body. It's about the two friends. It's written by a woman who understands what it's like to have the intense friendship that yeah. women have I don't know about men because I wasn't a boy growing up but I know that women you know you have this really like you're you're in each other's pockets
1: and those um, years are so impactful and stuff like that yeah. and I kind of feel it like molds you as a person it in does time. it 100% does and I feel very lucky to be living in a time where and it, in no way is this kind of like taking away from and god it's awful that it this has had to happen but mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we are living in the awakening of this or the start of the awakening mm-hmm. and that the next generation is just going to be able to go fuck this is wrong absolutely no way there's going to be no Straight question away. anymore it's absolutely done whereas we were growing up in this time where it was like oh, that's funny Oh, you know, you can't say like you're just a loser, or like oh, you can't take a fucking joke if you ever turn around and go, yeah, you no, know that's just that's actually just yeah a little bit. Sexist. You're a
0: cold-hearted bitch if you're not finding the funny side yeah. to yourself being sexualized.
1: Yeah, or, or you're like, yeah. You know, I'm not being racist. It's a joke.
0: Yeah, like, if you're not laughing, then it's a <laughs> joke. For God's sake.
1: Yeah, I don't. I knew this person before, and they. They were really horrible, like really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. And you'd kind of your your almost your reaction would be to kind of scoff and laugh. And they'd go, You see, you can't be angry with me. Because I made you laugh. Yeah. And I'm like, you're such a dick. And like, I was like, it took a lot of counseling to get around to that as well, where you'd go, actually, it's not okay. And you're a seeing you next Tuesday. Yeah. Full circle. Mod <laughs> to God. See you next Tuesday.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, and for a palate cleanser after yes. all that heavy talk, I I'm would. Sorry, like, I got so no, into it. No, 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 no. People, like I said, if you've been listening to us and if if you if this is happening happens to be the first episode you're seeing if you're going to our most recent one if you go back if you're interested in uh women's take on horror movies then we we give them Um, and so go back yeah so go back and listen to our other episodes um if it interests you and we thank you for it um so yeah so what we also do is we grace got a a cool christmas present of a hundred films which we have taken on the mantle of watching said hundred films yes and i finally came across my favorite one uh, when we came up with this one I screamed down to go. I was like yes, yes um it is dead snow and as i said before and yes in the last episode it's like two words it's like nazi zombies yeah. my favorite things put together in the world uh oh no nazis aren't my favorite thing i'm just highly interested in them people i'm just gonna say history. that History's
1: history history is your favorite yeah
0: thing. yeah, yeah. Yes. i know i also find them just it, it's incredibly yeah. interesting i'll say no more so anyway just the wee synopsis of it is a ski vata- vacation turns horrific for a group of medical students as they find themselves confronted by unimaginable menace of nazi zombies but we did say we we'd take that hit if we could just go on a bloody holiday with some oh, friends
1: yeah. genuine you would <laughs> yeah
0: risk i'm willing to take i'd um, risk it yeah um it's 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 over midway on IMDB. It's like 6.3 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I just go with the people. Go with it. It is brilliant. It's got a sequel called Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead. There's quite a few
1: sequels, isn't it?
0: Oh, oh I only know one, but um I, think I used to-three. Nice. I will watch them all. I
1: might be wrong.
0: But um, I also used to mix it up with there was another another kind of um, it wasn't Nazi zombies. It was Nazis that um, were living on the moon called Iron Sky. Amazing. And it was it almost kind of came out around at the same time. So if you liked Red uh, Dead Snow. Watch Iron Sky; they're just hilarious. Also, watch Overlord, which is a straight-up horror movie about kind of like Nazi zombie things. And that was only done, I think, about three years, three four years ago. Ooh. Kurt Douglas' son is in it, and uh, not Kurt Douglas; Kurt Russell. Okay. I can't remember his first name, but the surname is Russell, and he's a fox. He's he's no, he's sadly no, I think he might be our age um, or in his mid thirties. He
1: he's gorgeous. in um he's in. He's in something else. As well. Yeah,
0: he's in a few things. Um, oh, he's
1: mm. he is beautiful. Yeah. Mm, mm,
0: mm. yeah. But anyway, um, Dead Snow, hundred percent recommend. Watch it, have a laugh, and watch it. If you if you can't watch it with your friends, do a zoom party watch where you're all watching together. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. So I watched it partly on Shudder and partly on Prime. Um, and I didn't realize that this was a subtitled movie. And, oh yeah um,
0: sorry it's like Norwegian
1: yeah so two of the things I hate in life are um reading and uh, <laughs> zombies so I was like I had switched off my brain straight <laughs> away I was like oh, I'm not yeah. going we're as brain
0: dead as yeah. the zombies
1: I was like fuck this it was amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> this film is
1: absolutely brilliant like yeah. I laughed I um I just, like at one stage actually I was watching it while making the dinner, the dinner and the cat walked behind me and I saw the cat's shadow and I jumped because <laughs> I was like, oh my god it's a nasty zombie <laughs> it's and worse, was, it's a cat yeah my mom and my sister rang me and I was like oh look I have to go and watch the rest of this movie before the podcast it's in Norwegian <laughs> and by like when I was finishing it I was like that is one of the best movies I've seen it's mm-hmm. so good yeah. it's really funny I loved every single character
0: yeah
1: they're all brilliant um I just like I th- your man like is an absolute like they're all just mad bastards. Like oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it's
1: just fantastic. If you haven't seen it, as um as Imory says, do yourself a favor and watch yeah.
0: it. Yeah COVID has been a shit time. People yeah. put it on, have this a bloody is the laugh. Movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is actually the movie you deserve right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say it's it's better than the children's corn. Yeah! Yay! Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, I would put it up there with um, what's their favorite so far?
0: We were talking Jacob's ladder, but that wasn't yeah. like good for different reasons.
1: Yeah, so I put it there with Jacob's ladder because mm-hmm. they are so different, but just brilliant.
0: Yeah, Thanks. and so next week we will be watching Twenty Eight Days Later, similar to similar zombie um, Zombies, movie. and also as we watch today the Triffids, we will get to see where they had copied some scenes from. But this is the going entire to be, movie. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, it's the whole opening scene with the London mm. being abandoned. But then it's going to take a turn for the better. Uh, than the day the triffids and not be so boring so yes. i know i've seen it before but i haven't seen this film in years so i'm looking forward to re-watching it
1: it's actually my husband one of my husband's favorites and he oh, hates horror yeah um and it's funny we just i wouldn't consider zombie horror it's
0: very um, actiony
1: very actiony mm. but, yeah dead snow Literally. dead
0: snow baby oh brilliant
1: yeah um and our next episode is on
0: uh ooh, ooh use of religion in horror ooh, ooh.
1: jesus um yeah so next week we are looking at the use of religion in horror movies
0: which is just you know we're in if you are following the catholic calendar we're yes. in the middle of lent Yeah. Uh, I know I'm not following it, um, and I haven't since I was very young, because I have don't have good
1: winter.
0: Oh Jesus! Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all have our our. You know, I wanted to do it so I could get a medal because my brother was an ultra serving boy and he got a mm-hmm. medal, and I, I was one you of the You kind of got famous. off school. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I got off school, but, and me and Shauna, ultra serving peeps. Yeah. First female ultra service in Deroida.
1: <laughs> there you go now. That's an accolade, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. We are totally, the us are so proud of that.
1: So thank you so much for listening to that episode again. Uh, make sure to give us a follow on Instagram on Because You're Home with an underscore in between each word.
0: And you can listen to us on all podcast platforms. And if you listen to us on Apple, please give us a rate and review. And if you listen to us on any other podcast platform, just uh, tell a friend if you like what you hear or if you don't, just tell us anyway. I'll take good press and bad press. All press is good press. All press. Yes. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for Emma's pick. Yay.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.